0: Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church.
1: Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This and with all the strength. Sorry. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it is, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is so there is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribes said to him, Well, well said teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the soul and with all the strength, and to love one another one neighbor, as yourself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that, he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. That's the word of God.
0: Amen. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our children. If you are in elementary age, you can go kindergarten through fifth grade. Thank you, Bob and Carol, for sharing both encouragement and challenge as well. One of the things that Pastor Bob told me that he left out in his message, he said, when they gathered those 300 people, the, the pastor there said that it was Bob from the U.S. that was going to be speaking. And so they were a little surprised that it was Bob from the U.S. who's from Uganda. I think they're. <laughs> Um, Before we get into our series, and I appreciate Caroline reading our text today, um, just one brief announcement. We've been walking through the Gospel of Mark for, uh, I think, 35 weeks. I think we've been in Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be finishing it out um, through Chapter 13 uh, in just the next two weeks. And this fall, we're going to be doing a a kind of a different uh, approach to our teachings on Sunday. What we're asking our congregation to do is, is to submit questions that you have uh, about what we believe and why we believe it. Some of you have gone to church your entire lives. Some of you maybe just started attending church, just became a believer. And maybe there's things that you believe or that you think Christians believe, or maybe you think you've heard it from the Bible, but you don't know why. You don't know where. You don't know how we came to, to, to believe these things. And so what we're asking our church to do is to to put those questions down, and then we're going to preach through some of those, teach through some of those uh, in the fall. So those of you that are on our email list, you already got a link uh, online where you can submit kind of what those questions are. You can use the connection cards that are in... The pews in front of you, and what we'll be doing is compiling these over the next few weeks. Um, and chances are, some people have the same questions. Maybe it's about heaven or hell, or about things that are that are traditional beliefs in the the Christian church. We'll compile those. Um, the, some of the top ones we'll be preaching. Some others we may answer via blog or video. But this is a, a, an opportunity for you with those burning questions um, to submit those. And I think for us as a church to wrestle with things, maybe that. We haven't talked about enough as a church, or maybe we've never talked about um, here on a Sunday. So that'll be in the, in the fall that we'll be kicking that off. So thanks, for, thanks in advance for participating and sharing those questions. You know, I was thinking this last week about uh, the evolution of technology and communication and, and how, we, how we interact with each other. And, you know, long before social media, before you would get in fights with, with friends and neighbors online, um, there was these, these things called chat rooms where you would get on Fights with people you didn't even know, um, and I remember back in like the late '90s and the early 2000s, it was kind of like this fun thing. Is you'd log onto a chat room, um, you'd have your your kind of fake name and your little fake avatar, and you would strike up a conversation with somebody. And maybe the chat room had a particular theme, maybe it didn't. Um, and people all across the globe were connecting for the first time ever in these virtual chat rooms and most of them you know sometimes it would be interesting sometimes you may even connect with somebody Uh, a lot of times you just get in arguments with people that that you'd never you don't even know who they were or you know if they're being accurate you know in the text that we've been in through the gospel of mark we've been seeing um, these public the series of public debates happening where jesus is being attacked by other religious leaders and political leaders in the culture, and they're trying to undermine his authority. There's nothing anonymous about this. There's nothing easy about this. It was all out in the open. And so there's been this series of public debates. With We've got uh, Pharisees and Herodians. We've got left-leaning politicians and right-leaning conservatives, and everybody's coming to Jesus trying to undermine him. So the scene that, that Carol just read was, is one of the last scenes. In fact, it said at the very end of the text she read that after this question, nobody dared to try it again. So it's kind of the last, the last question. And what was the question? What was the thing that was brought to Jesus publicly? Let's see here. My, my clicker is not working. Chad, let we get to you. Kids are still dismissed, let uh, see, will it work? Here's the question. The question is, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now remember, in the Jewish culture, w- when we think of the commandments, maybe you think of the Ten Commandments. But in the Jewish culture, where there was not just the Ten Commandments, but there was hundreds of other laws and religious things that you had to follow. And so when this question is asked, immediately everybody that hears it starts going through a Rolodex in their mind of all the religious things they have to do to be good with God. And so is there just one? Is there one of all of these hundreds of commandments that is the most important? Well, we see Jesus' response. What does he say? He says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord Our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is this love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, as a church, this is where we get our mission statement to love God, to love people, and love our city. So clearly, Jesus answered first commandment is what? love God. Say that with me, love God. The second one is to love, it says your neighbor, but it's love people. So say that with me, love people. Now we as a church, we, we kind of extended the second one a little bit, to love our city. Because I see a lot of churches where it's easy to love the people that you like, right? It's easy to love the people that you choose to be with. But Jesus, in saying love your neighbor, he's saying those that are in proximity to you, they may not be in your immediate family, they may not be your co-worker, but you're going to rub into them. You're going to see them at the supermarket, you're going you're to see their kids at the at the park. And so as a church, we've expanded our the love of the people to, to make it intentionally outward, that we love our city. We want to be invested in our city. That's why we're having a community barbecue at the end of the summer, to, to create space for our community to come together, to love our city. So after a lot of public testing to undermine Jesus' authority, Mark's gospel records, as Caroline, The people were done with that. After this answer, that's it. And it's clear that this man, uh, I, I think it's clear that he had probably a little bit different tone in his question of Jesus. It seemed to me that he was genuinely wondering what Jesus thought. Maybe not as much of a trap or to undermine him as the others. I, I don't know for sure. But it says, after this this man, he affirms Jesus, but then Jesus affirms him. Jesus says to him, you are not far. Like, you're on the right track. Keep going where you're going. You're not far from the kingdom of God. So when Jesus recited the words, uh, when, he, when he recited this phrase, he was, he was citing two passages. One in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 5, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. So he cites that as the greatest commandment. And the other one is from Leviticus 19.18. To love your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus recited the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, this was a very common recitation in the homes of all Jewish people called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, Shema, the Lord your God is one God. And when Jesus recited those words, it's, it's helpful to remember that those words originally were given thousands of years before to the people of Israel who had just left captivity, just left slavery in Egypt. And in Egypt, there was a number of gods that were worshipped. And the the Jewish people saw that in the the world around them. They'd come out of that culture. And so the claim that there is one God was not a normal claim in the ancient world. In the ancient world, there was many gods, and you picked which god to worship depending on what you needed and what was uh, relevant to your particular life situation. So this claim that there is only one god was radical in that time. And the same is still true in Jesus' day. Thousands of years later, when asked this question, Rome itself had more than a dozen gods. Many of our planets are named after those gods. Neptune, Jupiter, Saturn, those were Roman gods. Gods, And it was even believed in the Roman culture that Augustus himself, the, the ruling Caesar at the time, was the offspring of a deity, that the Caesar himself was a god. So the idea that a relationship with God, any god, would be based on love is totally bizarre in that time. And at another uh, angle, it's actually completely blasphemous God is not somebody that we love. He's somebody we fear, that we revere, maybe. But love, the idea of a relationship with God, that was far from the belief in the current day. So whenever we hear these passages about how to love God who we don't see, how to love our neighbor who we do see, there's some internal wrestling that happens with us. And one of the biggest things that we have to to consider as believers, just like in Jesus' time, we live in a culture that defines love a certain way. We live in a culture that has different gods. So how do we interpret what it means to love God with everything we are? Our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But even before that, we have to ask the question, what is love? And so I want to do something for a moment. I want you to to interact with somebody that's sitting around you, one of your neighbors, perhaps. And I want you to ask this question. I want you to ask, what is love? And I want you to share just, uh, just in the next few minutes with somebody, and, and I would encourage you to even break away from a family member or invite somebody in if you're sitting with your spouse. Who in your life has best demonstrated what love is and what did that look like? So take a minute and just share what comes to mind right off the bat. Who is best demonstrated and what does that look like? Okay. All right. Okay, let's come on back. I want to I ask a question. Are you guys ready? All right, I want to I hear some responses. What did, let, let, let me just first ask, we'll just do a, a raise of hands for this one. How many of it, for the first question, um, was somebody close to you? A family member uh, or you know, a parent, a brother, sister? How many of that? You had somebody that demonstrate love to you in that way. Yeah, cool. So a majority of folks, uh, that, was, that was their demonstration of love. How about, how about a neighbor or a teacher? Neighbor or teacher? Coach? Yeah, coach. Good friends? Yeah. Okay, so how about, what did, what did love look like? Anybody want to share? Just right from where you're sitting. What did, sacrifice, Okay. Selfless, So they gave of themselves. And you saw that. You felt that toward you. Okay. What, what was that one? Empathy. They felt what you were they, were, they were wading into what you, the situations that you were in. Yeah. Discipline. Discipline. Yeah. So they corrected you. Oh, <laughs> With love, of course. Yeah. Uh, meeting them Elijah, meeting them where, so they, they waded into your stuff. They were right there with you, and they, that, that showed you love. That's powerful, huh? Provision. Yeah, absolutely. Acceptance. So they, they welcomed you in. Somebody said trust? Pursuit. Pursuit. They went after you. They didn't let you go. They always showed up. Yeah. What else? Anybody else? What was that? Time. That's a big one. They, they invested time. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. OK, now we're getting close. <laughs> Friendship. Yeah. Friendship. Patience. Delight. Delight I like that one. Compa- compassion that is an, a powerful aspect of love. Okay, so why is our why is our, our culture confused about love? Why is our culture confused about love? All the things that you shared are powerful demonstrations of love. What, why is our culture so confused about love? Well, one reason could be because of language, right? We, we say we love our mama and we love coffee, right? Not equal loves, at least I hope. Or we love the Seahawks and we love our newborn child. Again, hopefully not equal Loves. So while we only have one word for love in, a, in the English language, uh, the context of how we use that word matters. So that could lend either some clarity or some further confusion depending on what you, how you use it. But our, our love, our understanding of love is not just based on context, but on the actions that accompany our words as well, right? People can say they love in a right context, but do their actions show that they love? One of the ways that good parents show their love to their children is by taking care of their needs, by providing for them. But where things can get really confusing is when you have a parent who takes care of their kids' needs tangibly, but abuses them also. And they say, I love you. And so this creates a Disconnect in what we believe and how we experience love in our culture. So, so truly, understanding love, we, we understand context matters, uh, definition matters, action matters. But those aren't, again, the only things that help us understand love. For us, the origin of love also matters. Love comes from somewhere. And this is a foundational truth for us As Christians. If we're asked to define love, it can feel abstract, and with so many definitions and subjective demonstrations, it can be really confused about what love looks like. You can ask somebody on the street, you know, what love is, and you're likely to get a variety of answers. Love is a feeling. Love is a commitment. Love is a sexual relationship. Or the most common one you will hear in our culture today is this. Love is love. How does that help? How does that help? Love is love. So when the Bible says to love God, this could be very problematic for us because for many of us, the origin of love, the demonstration of love in our lives isn't actually love at all. It's selfishness. The opposite of love. So what is true love? How do you define it? Is there a standard for it? Where does love come from? As Christians, our answer is found In God and in the truth of his word. We know that the same God who created the universe, that he did it all out of love. And so that makes God the origin. That makes God the source of all love. First John says this, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from where? From God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is what? God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So the origin of love doesn't start with humanity. The origin of love starts with God. God is love. That means He gets to define it. That means he's the source, the creator, the perfect demonstration of it. Love comes from God. Listen to this other definition that's found in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is, some of you said these words as we were asking. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered there's a bunch of things about what love isn't right it keeps no record of wrong but love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres love never fails is this what you know love to be this scripture is often read at weddings which I think unnecessarily ties it to romantic love and it's easy to nod to these things until we need to apply them, right? Keeps no record of wrongs. Somebody said forgiveness earlier. That's love. It is not self-seeking. Somebody talked about being selfless earlier. It is not boastful. This definition is so convicting to me because the more I read this, the more I realize I still am not a good displayer of love. But the really good news about this description of love is that it's a description of God. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever swapped out love for God? God is patient. God is kind. Powerful description of the origin of love. Think about that. If you've ever wondered what God thinks of you, what his attitude toward you is, this is it. This is it. And this was radical in the ancient world compared to all the false gods, and it is still radical in our culture today. Just try and find a romantic movie or a reality TV show where love looks like this. Please let me know when you find one. I'll watch it. The word translated love that is most often used in the New Testament is the Greek word agape. If the word love makes you think of emotions and feelings, agape love is so much more than that. Agape is what a a father displays to his children when at the end of a long, exhausting day, he peels himself off the couch to have tea with his daughter. Agape is what compelled Mother Teresa to live a life devoted to serving the least desirable in a far-off country. Agape is what compelled this couple in Uganda to take in 23 children when they didn't have the means to take in 23 children. And the origin of this type of love comes from God. Agape was so central to the early church in their understanding of who God is that it influenced the meals that they would have together. You know what the early church called their meals? They called them agape feasts or love feasts. It wasn't just a chance to have a meal, but it was a chance to demonstrate tangibly who God is through food. And I am so here for that. I love food. (laughs) Yesterday we had a family gathering with my wife's side of the family, Jessica Sethman. We do this every August. And we gather together cousins, aunts and uncles, all the, unfortunately, the grandparents have all passed on now. And we share a meal together. And it is a centering thing for the family to say this is what family is, this is what love looks like. It's love is the reason the family exists. And it's the same thing for us as a church. The reason we exist as a church family is because of the love of God. So God is love. But let me clarify something that the culture might try and twist here. Love is not God. God is love, but love is not God. One thing you can't do with the origin of love is reverse it, as if love can produce something apart from God. God is love, but love is not God. The concrete origin and demonstration of God's heart is unchangeable. And in man's desire to appropriate or redefine love, what many are really saying in our current day is love is what i say it is and by extension so is god i've even heard this from some churches now where they say god is love love is god i love is how i define it i define god that's how it works it doesn't work though god is love but love is not god and when love becomes subjective it becomes confusing and it becomes emotional and it becomes self-seeking and it even becomes perverted Love is not God, but God is love. And he is unchanging and constant. And isn't that a beautiful picture of what we all want love to be? Unchanging and constant. As you were sharing who demonstrated that love to you, chances are they were that type of person. Unchanging and constant. Consistent with their love, with their pursuit, with their compassion. This is who God is. So love is defined by God, but it's also demonstrated by him. Look again at 1 John chapter 4. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he did something. He did something out of that love. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. What does that mean? It means that the penalty for our sin, that God's love absorbed that through the sacrifice of Jesus. He paid that penalty. That's what love does. The love of God the love that God demonstrated for us looks like sacrifice on our behalf. You know the, the passages, John three sixteen, for God so what the world? Loved the world. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Love doesn't wait for it to be received, for it to be given. Love pursues. And there's no greater demonstration of the love of God than the cross. So God has such a great agape for us that he sent Jesus to suffer as one of us, to die so that the curse of sin might be removed. This is real love. This is agape. And it has substance because it's a love that's willing to sacrifice. Jesus said that there is no greater love than if someone were to lay down his life for his friends, Jesus said that because he was about to do that very same thing. Jesus is both the embodiment of God's love and the example of it. Literally, the embodiment of it. God in the flesh. So then the question is, okay, if we start to understand what love is, how do we love God? How do we love God? This is easier than we often make it and much harder than the culture presents. It's easier than we often make it, and much harder than the culture presents. What does Jesus say in his answer to the teacher of the law? To love love God with 10% of your finances. To love God with an hour attendance on Sunday morning. No. He says to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything is God the center of that. That's much harder than our culture presents, isn't it? Our culture says, well, love, you know, love is only to be given in certain circumstances. And if you're, if you're going to be hurt by someone and you stop giving that love, you run away, you cut them off. But this type of love requires everything. To love God is to simply Make him the center of our lives. It's pretty simple, right? And difficult at the same time. The picture here is that God is so central to our life and our relationship with him is expressed in everything we do. The greatest commandment, the most important thing to do as a Christian is to put God first. So then the second one. The second command that Jesus adds, like so many questions Jesus has asked, he gives a fuller uh, answer than what the original questioner was asking. More nuanced. And Jesus doesn't give one important commandment but two. He says the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Let me start with the negative. You can't say you love God and not love people around you. We reaffirm our love for God when we love others who are made in his image. Just as Jesus was a physical representation of God, we have the opportunity as believers to be a physical representation of Jesus by the way that we love. So one of the ways, one of the primary ways we show that we love God is when we love each other when a, a pastor says he, he loves God and he serves his church with all that he is and he neglects his family, he is not loving God well because he's not loving his family well. And so when we as believers say we love God and we, we spew divisive things online or we curse other people that we disagree with or whatever it would be, we are not demonstrating this kind of love. Uh, Bishop William Temple, I think he puts it really well, he says this, Love of God is the root. Love of our neighbor, the fruit of the tree of life. Neither can exist without the other. The one is the cause and the other is the effect. So if we are loving God, we are, we will naturally also love our neighbor. So as God's love has been given to us, it becomes the foundation of our relationship with him and with others. So we're influenced by the love of God with our, as we interact with our neighbors. We are directed by God's love as we parent our children. We let it restore us individually as we wrestle with our own sins and shortcomings. So when I say loving God is easier than you might think, it's, not, it's because it's not based on your performance but on your relationship. We love God by letting him be with us in all that we are and all that we do. But this kind of love is also hard to live out because it's not what we see in our culture. It's not how we're being taught to think or trained to interact with people. Now, we we may not have the buffet of pagan religions uh, like what surrounded Israel when the great commandment was given. But that doesn't mean that the commitment to love God and love each other is any easier today. Think about all the things that are competing for your affection right this very moment. What is competing for your affection? What is trying to draw you in for your allegiance? Other relationships other than God. Sports, financial comfort, work success, your phone. I see, you no, know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> These are the types of idols around us that we often allow to be the center of our lives. And this is where the greatest commandment breaks through. God is one. Love him with all that you are. You know, I imagine that the biggest challenge to staying committed to God for Israel was this nagging thought that I wonder if, I wonder if one of those other gods is a little bit better than mine. You know, those people, they seem to have a little more excitement and a little bit more fun, don't they? I mean, they don't have just one God, but they have 10, maybe even 20. And and all those things, they seem to offer something just a little bit more different, a little more fulfilling. We're faced with the same questions today. I, I wonder if that relationship, or I wonder if that job, or I wonder if that new car is something better to center my life on than God. And this is why we constantly as a church need to be reminded of the love of God because when we clearly see who God is and we see his heart for us, nothing else compares. God made you. When you rejected him, he pursued you. He sacrificed himself for you out of his great love. And when you place your faith in him, it is his love that will sustain your life. So as a church, this is part of the mission statement that keeps us aligned with the truth about who God is and who we are. And we see clearly his great affection for us. So this morning, if you really need to, go ahead, look around, consider all the things that are trying to compete for your affections, and then remember what true love is. Remember that those things are not as sure and unchanging as God's affection for you. The cross of Jesus was God's ultimate declaration that he would do whatever it took to be known and to know you. So let me end with this question. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, what are you waiting for? If you're looking for the most solid, committed, unchanging demonstration of love you will only find it in Jesus. And church, let me encourage you in this, fight. Fight to keep God central in your life. If it requires making difficult changes in what is the center of your home or the center of your life now, make those changes. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. It's easier than you think because it's not based on some sort of religious performance, but these things are based instead on a loving relationship. God loves us, and he wants us to be in that kind of relationship with him. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? We're just gonna pray out together. Lord, we've we are in a culture that isn't even trying to define love as much as, we, as it used to, but it is instead just trying to water it down so it means nothing. Thank you for reminding us this morning of what love means, of what it looks like. And Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, that we would understand when our hearts are being led towards false gods, that when our affections are being pulled in a way that that it takes us away from you. That we might be a people that love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that make you the center of our lives. And Lord, when we break from here, when we go to our, whatever our plans are this afternoon, as we start our work week, I pray that we would be reflectors of that same love. That when people uh, look at us and they ask questions about us, that we'd be like signposts saying, Jesus, this way would reflect your love. We would love people like you have loved us. So thank you, Father. Thank you that we both get to receive it and give it. Oh, Jesus, may we do that in the days ahead. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.